Hey everyone, my name is Will Malice and I'm an assistant news editor for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, the only student-run print and online newspaper here on the UMass campus serving the community since 1890. And this is the official podcast for the news section of the Collegian called the Collegian News Hour. We're recording today's episode on Sunday, March 22nd, but this, like every installment of our podcast, will be released at 8 o'clock every Tuesday morning on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So here, uh, recording remotely with me to recap the stories we have covered over the past few weeks are the rest of the news team, if you want to introduce yourselves. I'm Abby Charpentier. I'm the news editor. I'm Cassie McGrath, assistant news editor. I'm Marina Kostake, assistant news editor. I'm Catherine Eston, assistant news editor. I'm Sophia Gardner, assistant news editor. Cool. So uh, um, as I previously mentioned, we're recording remotely because um, uh, UMass has shifted to remote learning, which is what we're going to be talking about for this episode. Yeah, so um, to start about that, um, so on March 11th, uh, UMass announced it was shifting to remote learning after spring break in an effort to prevent the spread of COVID-19, or otherwise known as coronavirus. It was initially meant to last through April 3rd, with uh, the university saying that they would give a decision if they would extend it through April 6th at a later date, but they ended up extending it through the entire spring 2020 semester on March 13th. Uh, This includes um, laboratory, studio, capstone, and graduate courses, and students who had decided to remain on campus for spring break were required to leave by March 21st, Uh, and then students who wished to remain on campus could, if their permanent residence is outside of the U.S., if they were identified as a, quote, critical on-site student employee, and the um, employee accepted that responsibility, a student's academic department or program requires an on-site presence, and they have accepted that arrangement, or any personal circumstances preventing you from returning home. And uh, as a result, professors are moving to doing using learning through, um, uh, through a variety of programs, could be Zoom, could be sending materials, stuff like that. Um, and UMass had followed some of the other five colleges. I believe Amherst was the first on March 9th, followed by uh, Smith and Mount Holyoke, who then made announcements, and then UMass. And then lastly, Hampshire College announced that it was shifting to remote learning. And this also comes when most schools throughout the country are shifting to remote learning due to concerns of coronavirus. So um, obviously, this is a major issue, and there's a lot to unpack here. I think maybe we could start with kind of the announcement of it. I felt this announcement moved really fast. I remember that Monday we were in our news meeting talking about how this was just a rumor. Then two days later on Wednesday, we get um, the announcement that uh, it was going to be extended for a couple weeks after spring break. And then on Friday, they announced it would be extended throughout the rest of the semester. So um, I guess, uh, what do you guys think of how they like rolled out the announcement and stuff? I kind of think that the university could have been a little more open with the announcement because I think one of the big issues with this announcement was that it was reported by the Boston Globe before we heard anything from the university. So that kind of left students feeling really unsure, kind of left students with a lot of questions. Um, We didn't know if this was accurate if the if the source from the Globe actually had spoken to UMass administration, but we could kind of assume that they had, but it would have been a lot, I think, more reassuring for students um, to hear it from their own administration first. I also think it definitely would have been more helpful for them to just call it right at the beginning so that there aren't students now returning to campus to collect things. I think that's kind of the biggest issue for the timeliness right now. And also just, I think it would have 
kind of instilled um, more seriousness into students because a lot of students left for spring break um, earlier in the week uh, before the announcement that we weren't coming back happened. And so I think that would have maybe affected more travel and it would have made it uh, a bit safer. Yeah, because the announcement came, I think it was around 5 Friday afternoon because I was in my car on my way home. Mm-hmm. And I was only half an hour from campus, so I turned around and went back and got more things because I'd only taken enough for three weeks. But thinking of how many people left earlier in that day, especially if you live out of state, if you don't have access to a car, if you don't have an easy way to get back and get your other things, uh, put a lot of those students in a difficult position. I think the university could have done it better. Yeah, and I think they also, um, they really recently released plans for the move out process like for coming back to campus and getting things that were left and they announced it just like a couple days before the weekend that it's supposed to be happening which I think was this weekend that things are starting up so even that seems like very rushed and very constraining on people's schedule which thing and really unsafe because all of those people are going to be yeah. back together so and it's also a big issue like if you lived like five or six hours off of campus and you expected to be coming back like for the semester, but then you end up having to come back, like drive five hours and five hours back. That's a like a big ask of the university. Yeah, especially on you know such short notice. But um, so we're moving to remote learning. Um, from personal experience, looking at like how or how professors plan to undergo that, I'm see like a range of different like some professors want to kind of keep the same classroom experience we're doing um classes through zoom and um and we're we're all meeting and stuff and then i have other classes where the professor is just sending out materials that we have to finish by the end of the day or by like a certain due date um i just wonder if uh, you guys have if your professors have reached out to you if you what type of plans your professors are looking to do for remote learning yeah none of my classes have been like set a scheduled like zoom call lectures or anything which is pretty nice i'd like that my professors are giving me that flexibility but it's also kind of nerve-wracking because i also haven't heard some of my professors and so um but i also heard like a lot of students were hoping that the university would give us an extra week of break sort of so that they would have more time to kind of figure out the classes and what they would be doing remote wise but I wonder if the university is putting anything in place, like telling professors, like, you have to do it a certain way, or they're kind of giving them the leniency to um, to kind of create their own, you know, updated curriculum. Or... I think it's interesting because it's hard for, like, the university to put something in place because there's so many different types of classes and types of, like, teaching methods. Like, um, one of my classes, I am, like, working with the UMass Theater Department. Um, it's like a PR marketing class for a couple credits and our main goals were to promote the upcoming shows but now the shows aren't happening so my professor's kind of she doesn't know what to do at this point so I think it's going to be interesting to see how professors who no longer have like the main objectives of their class um, how they're gonna kind of transition the whole course and how they're going to do that in a creative way. Yeah, I think it is very much based on the class, uh, because my professors who have been emailing over break and talking about what they're doing, uh, their responses have ranged from, well, no, it's going to be on Zoom and I'm going to treat it like it's still an in-person class, to this is now an independent study. All assignments have been converted to essays, and you know it's a completely different class than what I signed up for, and I know university can't really control that, but 
I think then very much, you know, these professors must have been given very different instructions because they're reacting to it in very different ways. Yeah, I feel like this is a very difficult time just because, well, first, like, I've never been more overwhelmed in a school break in my entire life. I, every time I get an email from a professor, I, I'm like, oh, my God, what does this mean? And I'm trying to, like, navigate what this means or how I'm going to be able to try to learn the same amount in this class. I don't have a lot of hope that I will get the same um, experience out of my classes because a lot of the classes I'm in are discussion-based um, and you really can't have that same conversation online. And I honestly have so much sympathy for these professors trying to redesign the entire curriculum in a week. Um, and really, honestly, like, that's it. So, I mean, I have one class that's going using Microsoft Teams and it's going online, but you're not required to go. But he's been posting the lectures online after class every time anyway. Um, then in one of my, um, my history gen ed, the teacher just gave us like two due dates, like write two essays by this date and do all your reading reactions by this date. And that's the whole class now. So like, that's just kind of disappointing because it was waiting to experience like the class like Catherine said that I signed up for. Um, but I honestly think that right now, like kind of as frustrated as we are all feeling, just knowing that like the faculty is feeling just as frustrated probably too is like really important for students to keep in mind. Yeah, and something I'm interested in is out of all the emails we've gotten, it's a lot of you know, making sure we have time to reschedule classes, still complete coursework. But at least none of the emails I've gotten have factored in the idea of, you know, what if a professor or student gets sick? And I just wonder if that's a conversation the university is having and choosing not to share with students, or if it's something that still needs to be taken under consideration. Definitely. Another thing I think is interesting to think about in this situation is grades, because I feel like all students kind of have a very specific way of learning. And I think that most students took classes that would best fit their modes of learning, but now they're getting transferred into these online, like very remote, very hands-off classes. And I'm kind of wondering how that's gonna translate in terms of grades. I feel like we could see grades, a lot of people's GPAs go down a lot this semester. Um, I know, I think the university just released a decision to allow students to make their classes pass fail. But I also, I don't think that that's necessarily a solution because I think a lot of students like maybe don't want to have a pass fail on their transcript. So I don't know. I think that's something that the university is still going to have to discuss. And also thinking about um, for how we're going to look back on this time and what we learned and like in school and how our, our university handles it. I think it's interesting to think about how like will the P during this semester look as bad like you know just because I mean I wouldn't make a class pass fail normally but like will it even be considered the same on the same scale like we can't it's so hard to even like wrap your mind around what this time period will be like because what if we're still I mean I know everyone's expecting it to kind of pick up by the summer but what if it's still going on next fall and we're still not back in school? Like, that's something that we don't know about yet. So just the fact that this is just so much bigger than us, I really hope that the universities, you know, not really right now nitpicking our grades, but making sure that we're all, like, emotionally and physically healthy. 
so kind of moving on from that, um, though it's related to the whole um, remote learning issue, uh, is that UMass announced on March 17th that it was postponing the 2020 commencement. So I'm reporting on this. Uh, some of you guys had reached out to students and got student reactions. Um, what were some of the reactions that you got? But I think it can be summarized. People are disappointed, but they understand why it happened. You know, I started hearing it from other students uh, from the time of the second email. And even now, after we published the story, every student I interview, I think I've, over the past few days, I've interviewed four different students about completely different topics. And all of them have brought it up saying, you know, we're worried about our seniors because, you know, you spend your four years expecting all of these events and now you don't really get them. So I think it is that general feeling of disappointment. But recognizing that the university didn't really have another choice. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, like a lot of other things right now, where once the classes got canceled, people thought about it and kind of knew it was coming in a way, just because this is an international health crisis. So um, and there are international students, students throughout the country, and just the fact that travel is being uh, restricted, it, I think it was kind of in the back of people's minds, and they were just hoping that by some miracle this would be that that there would be graduation but I think that kind of just was another while they already knew it was like another factor of just disappointment for seniors um, and a lot of the people that I have spoken to about it are just so devastated and I wouldn't expect them to feel any other way. So with commencement postponed they had mentioned that they were going to try to do something like another way to honor you know, the students who are graduating, maybe just to speculate a little bit, um, what do you guys think that they might do? Like, I was thinking if they could do, like, we all get our diplomas in May, and then maybe they'll do, like, some type of celebration after this, like, this whole thing has passed. Based on what other schools are saying, uh, some have just outright canceled. I believe Smith is one of those, uh, and that they said, we're not going to be holding anything, but we hope to continue honoring our seniors. Uh, I think UMass is best way out would almost be to hold the summer celebration. Reschedule some of these events to a summer weekend and maybe open up housing and say, you know, seniors can register to stay in a dorm or an apartment for the weekend, bring all of their own things, and we'll host a smaller version of commencement. Uh, or it might be done on a department level and that your department will host an event and you only come up for that. Yeah, unfortunately I think that that would kind of suck for people that are from farther away because then you have to spend a lot of money to get back here just for like a weekend or something which I guess in the long run to some people might be worth the extra cost but it definitely is kind of nonetheless like be kind of a stress on people's bank account even if they are getting going to give free housing like the transportation here alone might be very difficult to accommodate unfortunately. The only thing I've heard from people as a guest that I don't think will happen is that they just move it to the December graduation. Uh, because some people theorized oh well they'll just make the december one really big and all of this year students and the fall students will graduate together but i think that forgets that would be three semesters worth of graduating seniors in one ceremony and they don't have anywhere to put everyone and with increasing admission sizes already i feel like the university isn't going to put themselves in that situation for voluntary reasons mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it's definitely something that is so hard to really plan because you could plan something for the summer but who knows if this is gonna go till the summer or if it's gonna last even longer so i think that yeah there's there's not really like a clear way that i would anticipate them being able to like really plan something for sure for now 
This is a bit off topic, but just thinking about housing, just uh, the the amount of students who pay rent because they thought they were staying at school that aren't getting their money back is like such a big concern for students right now. And I mean, there's it's pretty unlikely that all the students are able to go back and live there and that they need to stay safe and or move in somewhere else or maybe that is good for some students who want to stay in this area for a lot of students that is money that is just like they're just eating i mean there's so many things that come up with the coronavirus just in our university and it's things that are affecting people's lives every single day especially because a lot of those students are now unemployed if they worked on campus or if they had a job related to campus they're not getting paid anymore. I know work, I had a work study and because um, it closed down, like now I'm just not getting any of that work study money, which is what, which was part of my financial aid. So now that you don't get a chance to work um, to get money, it puts you in a situation that I don't think a lot of students were prepared for. So moving on, we, uh, we can talk about um, kind of FCA's response to the whole coronavirus issue. Um, so uh, Sophia, you want to give like a Quick uh, summary. Yeah, so SGA had a couple different responses to this issue. Um, one of the major things that they've done so far is they've released a list of demands, actually two lists of demands. They released the first one when we thought that we were just canceling classes for a week after spring break, and then they released another one when the university announced that they would be canceling classes until the end of sem- the semester. And um, those demands are really interesting. There's a lot of things on there that I didn't originally think of. The demands is that students get reimbursed for um, parking passes because a lot of students spent a lot of money to park on campus and now they don't really need that option. So it also um, covers the larger issues that we've addressed, such as tuition. Students didn't pay to take online classes, so should, should they be paying the regular tuition, as well as housing and fees. Should we be reimbursed for that? Those are some of the demands. But then um, they also cover some that aren't related directly to students, such as like workers on campus. One of the demands is that workers should continue to be paid regardless of if they're able to complete their work. So that was one of the ways that SGA is addressing this issue. One thing that I think the SGA is going to be looking for for the university is definitely more collaboration because one of the things that they brought up in their um the last in-person senate meeting they held um president sullivan talked about the wellman document and how the fact that sj wasn't part of this decision to suspend in-person classes could have been a violation of the wellman document the wellman document essentially outlines um, the responsibilities and the duties of the UMass governance and what place SGA should have in terms of making these big decisions. So um, President Sullivan kind of alleged that the fact that the SGA wasn't included in this decision was a violation of the Wellman document. So I think that going forward, they're definitely going to be looking for more inclusion in these decisions. And also, One thing I think is interesting is that I haven't seen any response from the university so far to these demands that the SGA has put out. 
a lot of the demands are like time sensitive. I know one of the demands was that teachers and students get an extra week after spring break in order to adapt their classes and adapt um, just their learning style. And that would happen in a couple days, but we haven't heard anything from the university, so. On the point of the, the Wellman document, um, so I kind of, like, I think maybe with how fast the kind of decision went that the university may have felt to just, they just wanted to make the decision. Um, so they may not have involved the SGA. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see, like, looking at the decisions they've been making and the decisions they will make if they involve some type of student representation in those decisions. Definitely. I think that these the um, decisions that they're making right now, like regarding commencement, regarding what to do about students that have paid to live on campus, those decisions are less pressing because we have a good amount of time for the university to kind of figure out what the best decision is in terms of um, the situation that we're in right now. Um, since it's less pressing, I wonder if they will offer more room for SGA to be a bigger part of that decision. I think that would be something that's interesting to look at in the next few weeks. Um, I was just going to say, I think it's good that there are students holding the university very accountable right now. Because if there are small groups of people that are asking for demands, I don't think that the university would hear them. And I think the SGA getting involved definitely helps a lot of the students who are underrepresented and won't be heard to be heard in their concerns. I know that this is like really difficult for administrators too because they are trying to basically, they're trying to do so many things at once and it's really hard to do things in a timely way. But the fact that that is in fact affecting people so much means that we need kind of structural change in the university to really go out of their way to accommodate the needs of people. Definitely. Um, so the SGA also made the decision to postpone their elections until the fall. So they requested that all campaigning stop altogether. The people that were running were asked to remove, if they had anything on the, their Instagram relating to their campaigns, to remove it um, or anything just on social media in general. Th so those will completely start over in the fall. It's not like they will pick up where they left off. It's like a, a complete new election cycle. And also, it doesn't have to be the same students running. If new students wanted to run, then they would be able to, from my understanding. I'm definitely super curious to see what's going to happen next fall with that, because it would make sense that you'd probably see the same people running already, but maybe people who like saw how the university handled relations with the student government might be more inspired to join the race or that might like make make the race more um crowded so i don't know i'm very curious about that and if also not even just about like the presidential and vice presidential elections but also just in general people running for senate i wonder if a lot of people are going to be more interested now that they like see what the sga put out and are more informed about like the the governance that the student body has. I'm also a bit concerned about um, the elections being pushed back will mean that maybe potential bylaw changes will be pushed back too. In my interview with um, one of the tickets, they mentioned how um, RSOs are only allowed to apply to become RSOs in the fall. That's just something that was resonating with me because that means that the RSOs are being 
that have been waiting since last fall to be to reapply might have to wait like an extra month next semester, which means less time for our seniors to be involved in in the organizations and it's just like another thing. So hopefully they can do it quickly and effectively and um, it doesn't affect the student body too much. Hey, what I'm curious about is the terms are all supposed to end on April 1st, at least for the executive. And I'm curious whether, you know, they've already been not messing around with bylaws, but saying, you know, this is a time of emergency and bylaws are not as relevant. You know, does that mean President Sullivan remains in office to continue doing the work, you know, what does it mean for the presidency over the summer, and where does that go? Has, do you remember if they mentioned anything about that at the meeting? Um, if I recall correctly, I believe they said that they were going to extend the current um, offices until the end of the semester. So that would mean that President Sullivan and everyone else in office would stay in office until the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. But. If we're assuming that the elections start after the start of the school year, I, I think that Timmy will have graduated, and I'm sure that a lot of other people who have some sort of cabinet positions or executive positions also would have graduated. So I'm curious, kind of what like what's going to happen in that like couple week period until they elect someone new. Also interesting because. The seniors from this year will have graduated at that point, and I feel like the seniors are a lot of the ones that have had the most experience like with the SGA and they know the members of the SGA the best. So not having their votes, I wonder how that will affect the election. I mean, I think it's an issue we're going to see with all the groups because most groups, at least the ones I've talked to, hold their elections after spring break. Uh, and a lot of them will hold them in April so that they have a couple weeks to train their replacements, to train it and make sure the RSOs get to stay around uh, or the student organizations are prepped for the fall. And a lot of groups are going to have to grapple with how do we make sure people are trained enough that this group is still going to be as stable in September as it was in February. Cool. So um, that was um, our last kind of you know, recent news story we're talking about. But um, like, uh, like all weeks, we're going to talk about a previous issue. Um, this week, we're talking about the March 24th, 1980 issue of the Collegian. And um, maybe to start off the big front page article is um, called uh, 30,000 Protest Draft in D.C. Rally. And it's basically a, a story about a protest in D.C. Uh, about people protesting the draft, or about uh, having a draft in a potential conflict with Iran. And what I found really interesting about this article right off the bat was how it was written by a Collegian staff member. So it's interesting that they had someone in the Collegian go to Washington, D.C. to, to cover this. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I wonder if they were planning on going on their own and then they just happened to be there and covered UMass groups that are there or whether they followed the UMass groups down. Because I think it was the Women's March last year we had someone cover in D.C., but they were traveling on their own to the event. And I think that they contributed to the participation while people were covering it in Boston and I think it was Northampton as well. Or might have been a climate march instead of a women's march. I might be mixing up my marches. One thing that I always find particularly interesting when I look at these old ones is the ads, and especially the ads with um, like food ads, like the prices of stuff. There's an ad for a bunch of food from Louise Fine Foods, and one of the things is like, you get a can of pork and beans for $0.09, cents or applesauce for $0.79, cents. so... I don't know, it's so interesting to look back on. Definitely. There's also a picture of 
uh, the sign that says campus parking garage and the caption is this paper attached to the campus center garage sign seems to voice the opinion that UMass students are dissatisfied by the condition of several campus structures. So I guess some things never change. <laughs> but I also think it's interesting to look at the evolution of the papers and what issues matter to students from, we looked at one from my like, I think it was 1912, 1930, the 70s, and now the 80s. and looking at how who was given a voice who the writers are and what matters to the students at the time is always so interesting uh, i also found it interesting one of the articles on the front page was about a lecture uh, that was held on campus on ecofeminism uh, and i think with so many lectures that used to take place on campus i would say do but i guess they've all been canceled uh, but the amount of topics that are covered and kind of seeing you know this is an event that clearly attracted a lot of people to come to it because I don't think I've ever been to an event on campus that attracts 500 people regularly. And that just seems really interesting that this huge conference was held. There are also different sections, which I think is interesting. Like they're doing international coverage. And while they have they have this section, it looks like it just says digest. And then they and then previous issues had the um, the columns for different advertisements from students. So it's interesting to look at like even the letters to the editor which we get every once in a while now still but i wonder if they got them in every issue and how that kind of changes with modern technology and things like that so uh, i think that's all the time we have for now it's great having everyone listen tune in next time and once again i'm will malice i'm abby Sharpentier. i'm cassie mcgrath i'm Irina Kostake. i'm katherine eston i'm sophia gardner and you've been listening to the Collegian News Hour. The music for this podcast was created by Joaquin Carude and promoted by Audio Library. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you enjoyed today's episode. It really helps us out. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>